Diversion Audio. Welcome to Dear Skylar, where I talk to all kinds of incredible people about topics that I'm asked about as a transgender educator, things like gender, race, sexuality, mental health, body acceptance, and really everything in between and beyond. One of the things I'm asked constantly about is dating. I remember the first time I was on stage and somebody asked me, do you date? Uh, and, and it really struck me. I was like, I don't know how to answer this question. And the answer is, is yes. But I was like, why am I being asked this? And I learned very quickly in my public persona, my public work, that dating is a fascination for a lot of people, especially about trans people. And the questions come in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's about my genitals. Sometimes it's about who I date. Sometimes it's about how I date. And sometimes it's downright to how do you have sex? And we're not going to answer all of these questions today, but I think there's two main groups of questions we'll try to address. The first is from other trans people. And that question is one that honestly breaks my heart. It says, how do I open up to people as a trans person? How do I date as a trans person when I know that the response from others might not be good and it could even be violent? The other side of that question is from cis people, people who are not transgender, that says, I'm not sure about dating trans people, and what if I don't want to date somebody who's trans? So we're going to combine these two questions, and we're going to ask or address the question, is it transphobic if I don't want to date trans people? Let's talk about this, okay? I'll say before I bring my guest on who is going to answer this question with us perfectly, I want to have a sort of commitment with you. I want to invite you into this commitment that I have actually really stepped into as well, which is a recognition of the world that we live in. We live in a very transphobic world. We were all raised in this transphobic world. And so because of that, we're going to have biases against trans people. Even trans people like myself have biases against trans people, have gendered expectations of the world. And because of that, the question isn't, am I transphobic? It's, I am transphobic. How do I act in radical defiance to that? And this might be a hard pill to swallow. A lot of people internalize being transphobic as this horrible thing. But in reality, we are all having these kinds of biases. We all have racist biases. We all have sexist biases. And we all have transphobic biases because of the world that we live in. And so when we translate this to dating, it's complicated, right? There's a lot of complications about how we date no matter who we are. But then if we add systemic oppression and the complexity of what transphobia does to our interpersonal interactions between people, it's really complicated and nuanced. For those of us trans people who, quote, pass or are assumed to be the gender that we are presenting ourselves as. So for me, I'm assumed to be a man. When I walk down the street, I'm actually assumed to be a cisgender man. For those of us who pass, it can actually be very, very scary to disclose, to share that we're transgender because we're usually assumed to be cisgender. And at what point during a dating scenario will we disclose, hey, I'm actually transgender. And the moment can be scary not only because of social rejection. Somebody can be like, well, I don't want to date you. Or they could say a lot of transphobic things to us, to our face. Or they could actually be violent. And for a lot of people, especially trans feminine people, that, that violence is very likely. It happens quite frequently. And sometimes that violence is deadly. So for many of us, coming out as transgender in intimate scenarios can be not only scary, but maybe even life-threatening. This isn't just a, oh, I want to be honest type of question. This is how do I survive? 
even if we haven't directly experienced physical violence, a lot of us have experienced transphobia. And so we fear dating. We fear disclosing that we're trans in dating scenarios because of the amount of rejection we might experience. It makes us feel like we don't have a place in this world. So for you all, for listeners, and especially if you're cisgender, but really anybody can do this exercise, I want you to sit down and imagine this for a moment. Let's say you're on a date and you're talking with somebody and you really enjoy what they're saying. Maybe they laugh at your jokes. You go like the same things, the same movies, the same podcast. Maybe you both listen to Dear Skylar and you're talking about all of these things. You vibe. You're like, wow, this is such a great date. And then maybe a couple hours into the date, maybe you're starting to get dessert. Maybe you're talking about where you're going to go next. They disclose that they are trans. Quick, what is your reaction in that moment? What do you feel? You're on this great date and now this person has said they're trans. What do you feel? Hold on to those reactions just for a little bit, maybe reflect on them as we bring in today's guest, Mila Jam, who's going to help us address this concept of dating while trans. Mila Jam is a singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, and all around amazing human. She's a friend of mine. We've been in communication for a while now, and she also works for LGBTQ plus inclusion. She shares a lot about her experience dating as a black trans woman, and very candidly so, sometimes even showing screenshots. I've been personally inspired by reading how she interacts with others, how she shows so much self worth and self-dignity as she does so, something that can be hard for us trans folks to hold on to in a world that is trying to tell us we can't exist. I'm so excited to present this conversation with Mila Jam. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. I mean, it's I think it's so cool that the first time we're meeting is on a podcast. <laughs> I feel like that's very, you know, par for the course for our lives. It's um, very epical. But yeah, I'm so I'm so glad that you're here. We've talked many times over the years, but for the listeners, I would love if you could take a moment to introduce yourself, Mila. Absolutely. Uh, Skylar, thank you for having me. My name is Mila Jam. I am the only one, and my <laughs> pronouns are she, her, hers, or goddess, if you like. And I'm a singer songwriter, recording, artivist, meaning that I like to combine my art with my activism. And I am a Broadway muse uh, and also a lover of all things that are um, inclusive and empowering. I love that. I, I think you're the person who introduced me to the term artivist uh, <laughs> in a different time. I asked you to introduce yourself and uh, and I love it. But for anybody who might kind of wonder or catch on that, what, what does artivist mean? So it's simply the combination of two words that are very distinct, artist and activist. Mm. And putting those together, it's actually a word that I did not create. A lot of people think that it's like my, I, I made up this word. I don't know where I heard it, but it was just something that I was like, oh, I don't hear anyone ever saying that or mm. using that. So it just makes sense to me. Yeah. And uh, I've been using it for years, but I, I think as an artist, I really want to highlight the work I do around my existence and, yeah. and my experiences. So I'm like, yeah, artist, activist, artivist, mm. you know. I love it. I guess it could have been Arctist, but that doesn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a little bit harder to that's say. That's a little bit mean. difficult. It doesn't roll off the tongue. I like Artivist. I like it. Um, I mean, I think it's something that I've heard you talk about and you and I've talked about a lot, especially with your your music and mm -hmm. your songs um, and how you, I, I, it seems to me, bake in a ton of, of your transness in there or maybe, you know. You can't you can't ever extricate it. But I'm curious. Um, I've had it's raining them stuck in my head since I heard it. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, just to start there. Um, 
I know you've talked a lot about that, but one of the things that I think, I don't know how to explain this best, but there's an image um, in in the shot where there's a massive trans flag behind you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that I've just like, I've kept in my in my brain. It's just like a little piece of empowerment to always hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, a black trans woman walking the world um, in many ways that, that doesn't want you here, doesn't want us here. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how it's raining them, your music um, and that image of you with that trans flag holds what what does that hold for you who told you i was trans um (laughs) that's a a very good question it's raining them is really near and dear to me because i was actually given permission by one of the writers of the actual Mm. the song that is derived from which is it's raining men Uh, paul schaefer is one of the original writers and they wrote that for the weather girls and um, i collaborated with um, an organization out of london And we wanted to just do something that was really inclusive for the community. And I never thought in a million years that I would do something like a reimagination of like a really popular Mm. hit that's Mm -hmm. also like a queer hit. And writing like, well, actually not rewriting too much of it, but writing just rewriting just enough of it so that it made people in our community that really honestly don't get any, you know, um, shine was really the point. And I, I'm most proud about rewriting the word amen into mm. a them. I love that. It's the simplest, most, I think, genius way to like add everyone to the conversation. And so I even have a ch- like a hard time now when I say something like when someone says amen or like I'm in, you know, spaces where people are praying. I'm just like a them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Because I want to keep that energy because we also don't know our creator you know, is maybe be them. Yeah. They don't have to have a gender necessarily. So uh, this project was just so big and beautiful and allowed me to play in a lot of ways that I don't normally get to play um, and including a lot of the dancers and their identities and having the flag represented behind me. I, I just think that, you know, I'm a visual person and I love pop culture and I love pop media and I want to be a part of the conversation in an empowering and inspiring mm. and in positive way. Mm. And I think artistically that's, you know, it's not always going to be like that. There's obviously moments where people just, you know, take what you're doing and they don't get it and they might not want to uh, share it because they feel a certain way about it, the politics of all that. Mm. But I'm like, why not celebrate this thing that made me feel so ostracized and so othered and also being a person you know, a younger person who comes from an era where this was not the conversation. It's not always been a topic of discussion and being trans was not on people's tongues. You know, it's only been what, maybe seven, eight years since the tipping point. Um, Or actually, you know, it's almost 10 years, almost Mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a whole new world. So why not just lean into all of that? Mm -hmm. And I think my life has been about leaning into the uncomfort and the discomfort and mm. the things that are hard because that's how change is made, right? Obviously, yeah. you got to make change by doing things that you're scared to do. Yeah. So I'm like, listen, I'm going to own this and be proud of this. Maybe somebody will feel empowered and, and, and enjoy, enjoy it. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm sure people do. And I can say for a fact that I, I feel empowered by watching your stuff. And I've seen so many people, when you come out, people are like, nobody's going to love you, right? That's mm -hmm. a, such a common thing. Um, and I know it's a, a dark thing too, but I, I want to dive into that because I think it's such a common misconception is that trans people are unlovable, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a misconception not only held by people who are not trans, but also by us ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I know something that you talk about a lot, especially uh, with regards to the discrimination that, that trans women, especially trans women of color, experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I was watching uh, one of your videos, the, the Twilight Zone song from 2019, um, with all with the, one of the, my favorite songs. I, I was, I, you know, it was it was amazing. I was watching the video. I had I'd heard the song before, hadn't seen the video, and I was like, oh my god, I was missing so much by watching the video. So listeners definitely should watch the video. But um, yes, I, you listen know, there, to and watch Twilight Zone. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there are a bunch of screenshots of uh, text messages or you know messages you received from men men mostly. I'm assuming mm -hmm. um, that you were talking to, and there was one that really stood out to me. You said, I'm great and trans, period, you, question mark. Um, and I, I just, I love that so much because I feel like it sort of encapsulates a lot of what I've seen you post about and talk about online, which is, yeah, I'm great and I'm trans. And, and what about you? That moment, I can speak a little on the evolution of the, the, the places you go and the, the person you become in your life, really pay attention to the journey because mm. that Part of my life in that time when I had written that song and I posted those things on the video, it was, I look back at those conversations and I feel like I'm in a different place now, especially with dating, where mm. I have so much more ownership and I know my worth. And it wasn't that I did not know my worth at that time, but it was more or less me bartering my 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 transness mm. and, and my, you know, my Mila-ness. It's, it's, that's the thing that we have to do is like, we have to sell ourselves to people. Mm. And so, because I'm not just taken at face value, especially, well, that's another topic also is like, I am usually taken at face value with guys and dating men exclusively. I have to inform them and disclose to them that I'm trans. Mm. Then that's a whole nother conversation. But having to tell a guy, you know, from a empowered place that like, when he says like, how are you? I'm like, okay, I need to have disclosure. I need to say who I am and give him this because a couple of things. Society says it's our duty to tell people. Mm. People, you know, guilt us into saying that we need to tell people. And I'm having all of those thoughts. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just say it. I'm trans. I'm great. And I'm trans. Mm. You. It's even the context of how I said it. I'm, I'm great and trans. You. I'm like short, simple, mm -hmm. not trying to make it a big conversation, make light of the situation. Mm -hmm. There's so much nuance and context in all of the ways that we do those things. And I've learned to pay attention to those things. When I'm talking to someone, when I'm giving them an answer, am I really saying what I want to say and am I saying it how I want to say it? Mm -hmm. How much of it is it for them and how much of it was it for me? Because a lot mm -hmm. of that was for me. Mm -hmm. Is that, oh, that got real Brene Brown? No, <laughs> but, I love it. I love it. And I think what, what what we're talking about is like, how how do we navigate relationships, in this case, specifically romantic relationships, but any relationship with yeah. ourselves and our own values at the forefront? And I, I think that's kind of what it sounds like you've been sort of iterating on. And also, a lot of people just don't know. That I think has been the biggest hurdle with even like, let's say, cis heterosexual men that I date they don't never they never have to literally think about how they're receiving information mm. from other people and how people are being received by them. Yep. It is also we're living in a white supremacist world where this patriarchal 
conversations we're having just allow them to exist and think everything is to cater to them. So they're not going to ask themselves those questions. Mm -hmm. And when I, as a woman, especially a black trans woman, ask those questions, they really have a moment where they're like, what, what, who are you? What are you saying? How dare you, you know, question my -hmm. existence. Mm -hmm. You are subpar. You are under me. You are less than. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm, I'm great. <laughs> I don't have to be greater than, but mm. I'm great. And I know that about myself. So can you see that? Can you match that? Mm. And that's also very hard because a lot of them just can't match that. Yeah. And then they have to go away <laughs> and think <laughs> about it and maybe come back with homework that they did and say, I thought about it. And I, I mm. and you're, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Most of them just keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back with Dear Skylar in a minute. Most cis men, again, people who are not trans, um, they've never been asked to question their identities, especially the white ones, right? Mm. And I think that it, this is something I've, I've I've heard you speak on before as well, where um, when we don't question ourselves, there's there's a there's there's a level of depth that we can't go past, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a ceiling. Yeah, exactly. It's like a glass ceiling. And I, I think you've said something about that, especially with men who haven't been. I think your words were they haven't been taught to love beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could speak more on that because it's something that I've I've even experienced again, like in in friendships. I, I date mostly women. And so um, the the male friendships I've been in in my in my life, especially with cis men on a men's swim team, for example, mm-hmm. sometimes there's a level that I feel like we we can't move past yeah. because they haven't interrogated who they are in the mm-hmm. same ways that I have, in the same ways that I think um, most marginalized people have been demanded to. Because in order for us to know ourselves, to stand up for ourselves, we have to know ourselves beyond this sort of superficial level. And we've been demanded to explain ourselves, especially Absolutely. as trans people. Absolutely. So yeah. I think uh, there are a lot of men in this time that are tuning into the conversation Mm. and now are having an awareness of what needs to sort of happen, partly from the pandemic, partly because of, uh, you know, the systemic things we've dealt with, Black Lives Matter, all this stuff. There's just been a shift in society. And like I've I've been calling it like the great great rug that we've (laughs) all lifted up and we've like seeing all this stuff underneath it that's been swept. Now we're kind of dealing with it, but it's like so much that is overwhelming and I completely understand when someone's overwhelmed. Sure. The tools for men to do that work, uh, I don't think are given to them. Mm. And I think they might they might actually be snatched away from I them. I think they're taken from them. Yeah, yeah, a very good point. They're taken from them and something else is put in place, which is usually like this disregard for other people's feelings and experiences um, this like high level of selfishness mm, and entitlement. Um, entitlement and they they just sometimes can't see it and then when they get a little bit of it they go like oh but even that is just like a portion of something you know that's proximity based like they don't get something until they have a friend or somebody close mm-hmm. to them that's like oh mm-hmm. man you deal with that I didn't know that like I feel bad for you <laughs> Whatever, okay. But for them to actually go out of their way to do some research on that, to like the Mm. conversation that we have a lot in the dating world is like, when a guy is like, what does trans mean? Google is your friend. You're (laughs) like, go to Google. And even they'll be like, a guy actually said that to me, you know, um, he was like, what what did he say? He said something like, I said that, he's like, what kind of guy do you like? And I I mentioned a guy that is self-aware, is kind, 
is, you know, doing great things in the world and also, you know, open to uh, learning about like the gender constructs and, and mm. the constructs of gender and stuff like that. Sure. But he just kind of, I'm being, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but sure. he was like, I, well, what is that? What do you mean? Mm. And I was like, well, Google. <laughs> and he, and then he was like, but like, if I'm interested in you, I would want to know from you. Mm. And they don't even understand that like, you showing more interest in me would come through if you actually did that. Right. Like if you Googled on my behalf and said, I Googled, oh my God, we'd, I'd, that opened the conversation so much more. Sure. You yeah. even are missing that window of opportunity, but then you're making it, they're putting the onus on me right. after I've asked you. That is another thing that they double down on and then they try to make it our fault or make it my fault. Absolutely. And this is something that cis people do with our transness. Mm -hmm. They always want to make it uh, our fault. And like, but mm, do you have a feeling about like what you know and don't know? Mm. So like, maybe you should look at yourself. Uh, and that just kind of comes through. I think, you know, what you're talking about really reminds me also of the onus they put on us to share our transness in, mm. in sort of dating scenarios or actually, again, in any scenario, because <laughs> there's also been people I've told that, you know, I've shared that I'm trans and they're like, why did you tell me? Even in not a dating scenario. And it's like, they'll be like, you're lying to me or, you know, we've all interface with that again i have a story you, for you by the please. way about disclosure and transness totally different from what i think where you were going however very a very good friend of mine mm. recently came out to me as trans mm. not letting me know that they were transitioning mm. but that they are trans and i did not know mm. and i'd known them for a very long time well, that must have been an And it made experience. me feel like for the first time, really how cis people feel mm -hmm. in some respects on when someone comes out to them mm -hmm. that they didn't suspect or didn't know. Mm. What was it when that you felt? I could not put into words what I felt because I, I've known this person for many years. She's someone who is, you, like even looking back into when we met, mm. you know, we have those energies that we, you know, we see family, we see, you know, mm. people in our community. Mm -hmm. We have like, you know, we can smell some things and sense <laughs> some things. And then sometimes you just miss it all together. Sure. Happens. And I think that, like, in passing, I might have, maybe it was a fleeting thought at first. I'd never really like thought about it. And I got past that initial thoughts so fast that it just never occurred to me that it was possible or that mm. she would be mm -hmm. trans. And it wasn't until we had a, a lunch where... We're having conversations about dating and men, which we do all the time. Mm -hmm. And mind you, I haven't seen her in a few years because of the pandemic. So mm -hmm. we're catching up. Mm -hmm. But we've known each other long enough for, to her, for her to have shared with me that she was also a trans woman. Because mm -hmm. she's known about my experience from day one. Mm -hmm. So there's an air of, wow, like you couldn't share that with me mm -hmm. earlier on in our relationship. She did say, there's something I should share with you that I should have done a, a long time ago. Mm. And this conversation is really about the generational, di generational differences. Mm -hmm. She's someone who did not grow up in the generation that we're in now. Sure. So there is a time where being trans and being stealth yeah. was literally about your safety and security. Totally. And there is something to be said for finding people that you feel close to and sharing and disclosing with them and them telling people and them letting them know your business and that affecting your work, your job, your life, sure. your safety. And at some point when you've done that enough, you, you don't get a good outcome. You kind of keep that, you keep that to yourself. Yeah. I also felt like it was her right mm. 
Mm-hmm. I really wanted to honor that even though I felt I didn't feel I guess I would say I felt a little disappointed in mm-hmm. the in the connection we have mm-hmm. where she could have actually just told me sure. and I never would have felt any other type of way about it. Sure. But the fact that it had been many years and I'm just finding out in this scenario mm-hmm. and we were also I think part of the conversation was revolving around disclosure with men um very early on. Right. And just getting it out of the way. And I think this was something she was practicing because she'd never done it before. And so for her, you know, she's got this new experience in life and wanted to share that because she doesn't have community to my knowledge. She doesn't have a group. I think it's important for us to have our core group of supporters, trans and Mm non-trans, you know, folk. And she finally released and gave into that and be like, I need to tell you this so we can have a deeper friendship. Right. I was blown away. I mean, honestly, I was gagged. <laughs> this is what we would normally say. I was gagged. And I thought to myself, I don't take, I didn't take it. I wasn't upset. Mm. I just felt like, I felt a little like, wow, mm. you just don't know. Mm. You just don't know. Yeah, People who they say they know about trans people, you just don't know. <laughs> Trans people who say we know about trans people, we just don't know. Sure. It's all just so different, and it's all subjective to your personal experience in the moment. Absolutely. And, yeah, and I just to, to shout out, honestly, to all of the, tr- the stealth trans people who are living their lives and are not expressing it the way that it's become popular. Sure. Because even I was like, not, I'm not the kind of person that's like, before and after, look at this, look at me here, and this is what I was before, sure. and, and that's become a thing, yeah. even through the YouTube generation. And I'm like, mm, I'm me, and this is who I am and where I'm at. And I, that's all y'all need to really know right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what's, what's so beautiful about the story you just shared about your friend is, is you also, you, you've distinguished between being upset and having a, a particular feeling about it and then also communicating that upsetness or, or blaming her for that mm-hmm. upsetness. And I think, you know, this translates really well into what I was actually going to ask you about before you shared that, which is, I think that a lot of, uh, well, we don't have to think here. We know. Mm-hmm. Cis people want us to share that they're that we're trans, but then when we do, they're upset about it, right? right. Um, and if we don't share, they get upset. If we do share, they're upset. It's You've said this before. I've heard you say it many times. It's, it's a catch-22, <laughs> right? It's, yes. a, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that you just said that's absolutely beautiful is like, you're allowed to have your own feelings. And I say yes. this to cis people too. I'm like, if you're upset, somebody's trans, okay, I can't control your emotions. You're allowed to be angry. Yeah. You're allowed to have all these kinds of feelings. You just don't need to blame the other person and you definitely shouldn't kill somebody because of it. Absolutely. Right? And so I'm curious kind of, you know, the, the buzzer question is, is do we have to tell people that we're trans? Um, and if so, at what point? But the real question is, what's your experience with that? How, yeah. what, what do you think? What do you feel? This is a little bit of a tricky question because I don't think it's a black and white answer. And I have been in those yeah. positions where I thought it was. Mm. I have been in the phase of I, it, they, people need to know sure. and it needs to just be clear. I also find that people don't always know what to do with that information. Absolutely. And I think you have to do it on a case-by-case basis. You have to, you know, look at the landscape of your relationship with someone. And I clearly that's just what happened with me and my friend. <laughs> she was like, you know, I love you. I trust you. I, you know, I'm here for you. And then she just, I wanted to also tell her that I'm really glad that you found that place in yourself to want to share that with me. Yeah. Because that really let me know you felt like, really comfortable and like, I need to get this off of my chest. Right. So I'm like applauding her for actually doing mm-hmm. that. But 
when people are so curious, they don't always know what to do with that information. Yeah. And that's where the safety issue comes in, the security issue comes in. Um, you know, if you know someone's big on bullying people and making fun of people, we all have friends that are, we, you know, call quote unquote ball busters or like, mm. you know, they want to make fun of things. You know, we have friends that are loving and mean well, but are very quick to judge because it gives them a rise. Mm. And so, you know, I've even come to that understanding with my dating life is like, I believe that it's always important to let someone intimately in your life, romantic or, or platonic, know. Mm. I think it is important that they know. Sure. So they can have a good, deep understanding of who you are and what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes those experiences, we take them out on other people, and it's not even about what you had going on with your friend. Right. It's like, I'm having an internal trans issue that I'm like, I'm having a dysphoric moment, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't understand where it's coming from. Right. So that gives them, that's informative. Right. But I think... You know, just uh, it's weird because moving in through the world, just being like, <laughs> imagine someone going down the street, just being like, I'm trans, 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 I'm trans. I'm trans. <laughs> that doesn't like that doesn't do anything either. It's also not natural. It's, it's also it's, exhausting. That's the, it's also that's the thing. It's not yeah. natural, and it doesn't connect. Right. It feels, and then it also feels performative, and it feels like you're doing too much. So draining. I just think it's draining, and I think that it's listening to like connecting in the moment with the people that are around you. Yeah. Do they need to know? Do they deserve to know? And do you want them to know? And if they have a weird reaction or a bad reaction, I'd really reevaluate who, how they are in your life. You know? Absolutely. I mean, everyone in my life is 190% supportive. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I even said with my family where I was like, newsflash, whatever you find out about me and this, I'm going to tell you what it is. I have a very supportive group of people in my life, chosen family. I love them. They love me. So you can take it or leave it. Right. And they were kind of like, Ooh, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I think even the trans community ourselves were split uh, or, or could, you know, I don't know, argue within about, you know, no, you have to tell people before you date them or absolutely you don't have to tell them. And it also um, gets weaponized. That's the conversation that we, we really need to have is like how exactly. telling your transness and disclosure is weaponized against us. Because and it's another double-edged sword. It's a you know, if, you know, a D if you do, a D if you don't. Mm -hmm. You don't tell someone, and then they find out or they learn, and then they catch wind of it, and they're like, "I can't believe you didn't tell me." You tell someone right away, and you're objectified, you're sexualized. Mm -hmm. They look at you as like, "Oh, you're less than. Oh, you're right. discarded. Don't want to talk to you." You know, right? Well, and I think in a perfect world, disclosing one one one's transness would absolutely be you know, probably one of the first things that I would want to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think in an ideal world, m most people might because it's part of their identity, right? Um, but I think in the world that we live in, where it's dangerous to disclose that you're trans, um, and also dangerous not, it, it really it's it's up to I think the individual <laughs> person. And yeah. I think that's what I always like to remind people is that, like you said, it's a case by case basis. It's how we want to decide it, which really means that it's up to the trans person to decide when we disclose as opposed to cis people demanding it from us. But I also think we need to add to this the vast diversity, the nuance, the different experiences of trans folk. Mm. We're not a monolith. This Absolutely. is something that has to be said about being black. We're not a monolith. Black women are not a monolith. Women are not a monolith. It, like we are all very different and we should be allowed to live in those different experiences and not have to be one thing. Yeah. But we are also, you know, inundated with media and and visuals of this is what an Asian person is. 
This is what a black person is. This is what a trans person is. You know, we have sound bites and we get, you know, dumbed down to a sound bite or a meme or a gif. Jif, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's interesting. And I'm just like, okay, some trans women, you know, are this or are that. They like this, they like that. They do this, they do that. And it's like, not everyone is the same. Yeah. So when we're like teaching or when people are learning and doing their homework, do your homework. <laughs> It's not like we have to describe and explain everything. Right. But that's also another frontier I look at because let's say, let's paint this picture as a utopia. We're all in the world and everyone understands that we're all different and that trans people are real and we are here. And non-binary and gender non-conforming folks are real. Mm. That affects everyone. Mm. That's the thing. It's like when black people have you know, equality or we have, um, when women have autonomy, it's going to affect men. Yep. It affects everyone. So like we have to get to the place of understanding that it's affecting all of us. And what are the benefits of it affecting all of us? Right. Because I think there's more good than bad. And we're just constantly sold that there's just, it's bad. Well, we're constantly sold on demonizing transness, demonizing mm -hmm. queerness, and and sort of putting everybody in boxes. And I think what you said about the fact that running to a place or hopefully moving towards a place where transness and queerness aren't demonized, that actually does benefit cis and straight people yeah. and might even, you know, God forbid, do away with the concept of these really strict boxes of cisness, straightness, queerness, and so on. Know that, but you right? know what that means? That goes into capitalism. You're right. And that goes into making money and that goes into the systems that are put in place because they thrive off of our insecurities. Absolutely. And it just perpetuates those narratives of the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all this stuff. You know, it's funny because I'm thinking about like men's soap or men's this. It's got to have <laughs> men's shampoo. And like people are like, you know, the, we're divided. It's like shampoo is shampoo. It's just for people. It's for humans. Human shampoo. <laughs> and like, actually, that is fierce. We should start that. We can go on Shark Tank. Human shampoo. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go in with me? Well, <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start a new product called Human Shampoo. <laughs> and it's gender nonspecific. <laughs> but it's like it does cater to people and as a trans woman you know that identifies with the binary to some degree hello mm. there were so many affirming things for me growing up that were female oriented women oriented mm. it's like women's things like mm. women's you know shaving cream and women's you know sure. perfume it makes me feel closer to myself yeah. to have some of those gendered things mm -hmm. so that can be a little bit interesting but but we are all more than that. We I think you know part of it is like the do you know that more more than that? Sure. And I think what you're talking about is also just using the tools that you have, right? That have mm -hmm. been presented to you to find proximity to yourself, yes, right? Exactly. And and I think that's valuable. And I think what we're talking about here is what if we expanded those tools, or what if the tools were were of our own design as opposed to ones given to us and saying these are the only tools you have, pick blue or pink, right? Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with dear Skylar in a minute. I'm curious, kind of in this conversation, as again, we're talking about um, dating, you mentioned race uh, is something that you and I have talked about before as well. If there's a study on OkCupid um, 2014 or so that said the least desirable races uh, or categories of people, if you will, by race, black women and Asian men. So mm -hmm. as an Asian man, 
you are a black, a black woman. woman. Um, we are the least desirable, according to this study. Lies. Um, yes. What? What? Complete I guess. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> lies. <laughs> I'm curious for your thoughts on that, um, and kind of maybe where it comes from, especially when we add for both of us transness on top of I, that. You know, part of that for me is, well, let's look at what is considered not serving the gaze, the white male gaze, and what's taboo. And, you know, the the lived experience that I have is that there's a, a plethora of, you know, pigmentally challenged men, <laughs> <laughs> white men, we'd like to call them, uh, that have had a desire, a deep mm. desire, a burning desire, or have, mm. you know, a thing for women of color, for mm. black women. Mm. And a lot of those men are just so scared to explore that because of mm. what it means. Mm. And they were taught not to, or, you know, so there's stigma around that and they don't want to like play into it. Right. So I think all of those things kind of show up in some of the statistics that are taken. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of white men who are staunchly against dating black women. I'm sure they don't yeah. want black women. They're not interested and that's okay. Yeah. There's just as many, if not more black women who are really not interested in dating white men. <laughs> and, you know, and I know some of those women and we've had this conversation is like as a black woman that does date white men, mm. I love learning about someone else's experience. Mm. I think that there's a beauty in, you know, the diversity of dating a man who is Spanish or white or Asian or whatever race. Sure. If we're connecting, you know? Right. But a lot of these statistics don't look at what's really going on in people's brains and in minds. Right. And I, I'm, I'm, it's weird because I feel like that's where we keep wanting to go mm. is to like predict people's like feelings and emotions but then we don't need that doesn't allow them to be real and raw because yeah. we're going to still police ourselves. Mm. And I think we just people police themselves when they're on certain apps and certain things and doing things because everything is monitored now. Right. It's like everything is calculated and tabulated. Every move you make as a human has like a number attached to it. Right. Like this is a tangent, but like I was just thinking the other day, it's like no one could tell you how many times you listen to a CD. The only thing they could gather is that if they looked at the CD, you scratched it up and you listened to it a lot. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Right, right. But because of streaming, yeah. we every time you listen to anything on any app, it's counted, it's calculated. Right. How many times you've opened your Facebook, how many times you've looked at your Instagram, how many hours you've spent on it. So all of that's just kind of overwhelms me. It's like everything we're doing is like calculated and and and, and watched. But with the dating part with men, uh these OK Cupid statistics. I I feel like we are living in a world where people are so much more open mm -hmm. and are like, yeah, I do like that. Mm -hmm. Or I am interested in that. They don't necessarily know how to go about it. And then when you try to help them, that feels a little bit too much. Like, ooh, I don't, mm -hmm. never mind. Don't help me. Don't help me. People also have to find things on their own, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I just know that the narrative that I want to dispel here on this podcast is that men don't love trans women. Mm. We have discussed this, but men love trans women. Not every man. Absolutely. Maybe not all of the men or most of them, but a good enough percentage of men are actually interested in mm. trans women so much so that we are the second streamed content on, you know, adult, adult websites. websites. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and even outside of being sexualized, like literally that is most people's introduction to trans women, especially black trans women, is through a, an adult website. Right. But then you have conversations with us 
And then you bond with us and build with us. And you're like, oh, wow, like she's dope. She's cool. I know so many brilliant black trans women. Mm -hmm. And the guys that have dated us, most of them are just intimidated because mm -hmm. they haven't been able to like catch up. I can't speak on your Asian. No, no, no. Though, with <laughs> no, I think on your Asian. <laughs> dating. You don't. You don't have to. I. I think that um, this is something I've come across a lot. I think, especially when I was just starting on my swim team in college, and I was, um, you know, with a bunch of college-aged boys, all of them cisgender, right? Mm -hmm. None of them trans. Um, and I just felt like there was, and this isn't to, you know, criticize my teammates. I love my teammates and I love many, many of them are my good friends, but there was this level of me understanding myself that I felt like they didn't have. And mm. I think that's also college. Lots of people are feeling themselves out. And I had, I had, I think a little bit of a head, head start, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but my transness was that head start in a lot of ways. I think also being a mixed race person of color for me was also a head start because it demanded that I learn about myself. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you talking about um, is that I think a lot of cis men, especially in the world who date, try to, let's say, date, mm -hmm. um, trans women haven't had that, you know, who am I conversation with themselves or what do I like? I think it's deeper. And I'm okay. going to go here. Please. What's deeper about it to me is that if we look at the way that men treat women, we're already doing a disservice to sure. relationships. Men don't treat women with kindness. Right. Especially men that are interested or like, like are sexually attracted to women. Right. So the narrative even now is that men don't like women. Mm. And- you know, and I'm looking for the men out there who can actually stand up and say and fight for their right to say, I do love women and this is why. Right. But when we say that men don't love women, it's usually based in they don't love us like human beings or like people that have actual lives, that mm. have actual things going on outside of our bodies. They love like objects. Men not just objectifying, objectifying us and looking at us as like property. Mm. We're literally just looked at as property. So. It's not viable or, you know, it's not good property to like own a trans, like to have a trans woman. Mm -hmm. That's just not what society accepts at this point in, in the world. Mm -hmm. And I have a theory and I won't go into it like too deeply, but I, I there's a, a thought I thought about where, you know, if there's a trophy person that people are exalted for having, it's like trans people could become, you know, that we could become put on a pedestal mm -hmm. because it's it's like a delicacy. It's like, oh, I can see, you know, men being like, oh, I have a trans girlfriend and, you know, I'm better than everyone else because I do. Mm. You know, I spoke to a guy once that was bashing cis women mm. and, and super only into trans women being like trans women are the best women in the world and perfect. Mm. And I didn't like that because- I'm a woman and you talking bad about women, period, doesn't work for me. Mm. You know, like cis women, trans women, we in between, it doesn't, like I'm not here to be better than any of the women in, in our experiences. Mm. We have enough to deal with. Yeah. So it doesn't make me like you more to be like, I only like trans women and I only, and you're the best thing in the world. I'd actually prefer you to say that like, you know, Mila, you know, you are the best thing in the world. <laughs> You're the only thing in the world. That's different, right? Mm. So it was that bashing that I wasn't into. But we could become a commodity. And like, and to some degree we have become, it's like trendy to be like, right. have trans people in your shows and be, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, well, trends is trending, but I'm not a trend. Mm. Like, I'm a real person and I have a real life and I do things for real. Also learning how to navigate what that acceptance feels and looks like yeah. in the dating world. Yeah. When a guy shows up, I can't tell you. It's so weird. It's jarring. Mm -hmm. It's like you're not used to it. You're not mm -hmm. used to a guy calling you back and, t and showing you up and being on time and taking you seriously. You're like, okay, 
what who's behind this camera? Like what's <laughs> happening? Someone's pranking me. And it's really sad. And then le- it's very sad. And then leaning into that, but that's PTSD, and that's also intersectional. I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm trans. Like I have every section of that. There's some triggers that come in for me, and I feel like I handle them pretty well. But like they they exist because I'm like looking over my shoulder and trying to be like, what's going on? You know. Well, th- that reminds me of my favorite quote of yours and maybe of uh, of all time, which is that I you, hope it's you, a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. You said you said once um, that you your hope for the future was that trans joy is familiar. Mm. You said I want mm. trans joy to be familiar, and mm. that has never left my brain. In fact, mm. I've told many people that I always quote you. Don't worry, um, <laughs> to say. You know, we want trans joy to be familiar. And it reminds me of what you're talking about. I think that oftentimes in dating, trans people are so afraid to date that even when positive experiences arise, um, it's difficult to accept them. It's difficult to sit with them. It's difficult yeah. to say, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that when I hear it's people- Exactly. When I hear people tell me, oh, Skylar, you know, they didn't accept me because I'm trans. It's okay. I always like to say, actually, it's it's not okay that that people are discriminated against you. Is it okay for them to not consent to something? Of course. Like right. everybody can have their own consent and they should. And if somebody doesn't want to do something, great, don't do it. Right. Um, but it's actually not okay to experience discrimination. Right. And we have, we have as trans people, I think, so much internalized the, the transphobia, the discrimination we've experienced, that we that we say it's okay when people hurt us. Yeah. Um, well, you know, anti-trans laws and bills don't help. Absolutely not. You know, and people telling us that we're not real and that we don't exist don't help. You know, so we need all the, like, love and power we can get. You know, this is why people are like, oh, you're so positive all the time and whatever. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm rooting for myself. And, like, Mm. in rooting for myself, I'm rooting for you. And I just want us to be able to have, you know, autonomy over our bodies and to be able to love and be loved. And that there's so many narratives out there that just don't really coincide with the, the truth. You know, my sister, God bless her, Laverne Cox, is just... When she was on MSNBC recently talking about, you know, how like I like she's like, I'm a trans person and I'm real and I'm here and you you can't convince me otherwise. Mm. And that is a fact. Mm. So that the fact is there. We know this is a thing. You have to stop making it as if like it's not real. Mm. And we keep getting pushed into this like disillusionment or uh, this, you know, falsehood of us being real and having like certain agendas, which is all made up. I'm like, no, but that is also the tiring and taxing work of just wanting to, like we all say, exist and have trans joy because my trans joy doesn't take away from your joy unless you don't understand your own joy. Mm. My joy doesn't take away from your joy unless you don't understand your own joy. I, I think that's a yeah. such an excellent way to put it. And I think that kind of goes back to inviting they love themselves. <laughs> yeah. They, no, that I mean, that is really the core of it is a lot of other people's insecurities get projected or or used against us. And I think trans people, especially trans people of color, especially trans women of color, um, are often a sort of perfect object for that in in terms of the way people use their hatred, the way people enact their fears. I want to say too that I'm really happy that I'm in a place in my life where I no longer feel like I have to be used for anyone else is pleasure mm. like just outright because like like my purpose is not to just be used for your pleasure I have pleasures too that I'm gonna get so like you get yours and I'm gonna get mine this is like a two-way street and not just being like trying to be sexual but like it is I deserve just as much joy from my experiences with whomever as they get from me 
Yes. And even if that's just like, you know, physical pleasure, emotional pleasure, that's the other thing. It's like there's a lot of emotional baggage, even with a, as a woman dating men, cis men, they have a lot of emotional baggage that they've that they're carrying that they no one that they have not had help with. Mm-hmm. And as a partner, a potential partner, that gets dumped on me. Yes. And then I'm been, I'm their therapist, and I'm like, okay. Dude's doing too much. <laughs> and then people get mad when they're like, girls want to charge them money to like have their time. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're having me be your therapist. You're having me be your dominatrix. You're having me be this. You're having me that. It is too much. Mm. But what are you actually doing to share in the, the joy and the experiences that see me and, and support me and my community, you know? How do we get men to step into that. I think that we keep making choices to not reward the BS mm. that we move. Like we staunchly move in the direction. Like the like thing I'm practicing right now in my dating life is um, as soon as I see red flags, I'm like, I'm not le- leaning and leaning into it. Right. I'm cutting it short. Mm. I'm chopping it. You know, when I'm disrespected, I don't give them a pass. I mm. also think with me and dating men, my mantra has been they are, uh, guilty until proven innocent <laughs> because there has been so much forgiveness and and benefit of the doubt before we even had any like getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. I'd just be like, okay, he's a man and he likes me and he's attracted to me. So like he's the sweetest and nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that about you. Well, like, like what does it look like for me to find that out about you and then go, he actually is that kind of guy. He's cool. Right. Or he's mm, he's not. Right. I like that's how people get stuck in certain relationships. I'm just trying to like reevaluate how I how I choose those things. And we have to just be I think grounded in not rewarding the misogyny, mm-hmm. not rewarding the toxic masculinity, not rewarding this these patriarchal things. Yeah. It's like let's push back but like with our full chest and it's like, you know, going on a diet and being like I'm not eating that today <laughs> or tomorrow. Not this until something like is better. Mm. And then when we see some change happening, we go, okay, things are coming around a little bit. Oh, they went a little bit backwards mm. because there's patterns and there's shifts. They go, you know, come forward and they go back. But that's just what I'm practicing. In that practice, I think I'm hearing a lot of sort of like self-compassion, self-trust, mm-hmm. um, uh, boundary setting. I boundary. Think yes. is so important. Um, and it sounds like sort of your method of um, – encouraging men to do their own work is by doing your work. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that, I think it goes back to the concept of like, if we are, if they're stealing our joy because they don't have a joy, then the way to give them them back their joy and us us back our joy is really to focus on ourselves. Um, And I think it's something that I think, again, a lot of trans people are forced to do Mm because in order to discover ourselves and Mm -hmm. care about ourselves, take care of ourselves, we have to do that. Um, So sort of as we, as we, you know, begin to wrap up this conversation, I'm curious, what are the ways that you have been able to build yourself up to, to keep that empowerment? You are, in my understanding, a very positive person most of the time. Um, And, and I've seen the messages you've received online because you, you, you post a lot about it. um, And I'm sure you've received a disproportionate amount of horrible messages. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you, how do you ground through that? How do you remind yourself of your own, um, you know, beauty, your own uh, self-assuredness? How do you how do you take care of yourself? I remind myself that we're lied to constantly. Mm. We're lied to all the time by everything around us. Sometimes it will, and then and then the insidiousness of that 
lying is we lie to ourselves. So learning how like to lie to myself a lot less, um, really look in the mirror and to embrace that, like, you know what? You are not doing so bad. You're doing okay. You know, and I think that's also what I've started to practice recently is I have a habit of saying things. And I I've, like I hear this in podcasts all the time. <laughs> like, you know, the things you say are words are spells. Yeah. Words are spells. Mm. So if we use our words and we say negative things about ourselves, those things happen. They, they're real. If we say positive things about ourselves, they are real. Yeah. You know, I'm on time. I'm prompt. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm like, I want to do this weird study and I won't go into it, but like, <laughs> I really think that the concept of time with, as it pertains to blackness and, and, and black folk, this is a whole nother podcast mm. is something that I want to kind of like study because it's very weird. I think there's something ancestral about the way time affects you when you are a person of color, mm. because we've always had this put on us that we're always late mm. and we're not timely and this, this, and that. Mm. And there is truth in that mm. because it happens maybe sometimes too much, but I'm like, I sometimes feel like it's more, I don't know if it's, if it's cerebral. I don't know if it's, uh, it's part of our DNA. I don't know. I'm like curious because I don't think it's just as simple as just be on time and just do better. It's like the circumstances surrounding your position in the world don't always allow you to do better. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there are things that get in the way of that and things that have prevented that. Also, things that are just passed down because we've learned that there's trauma that is passed down through your ancestry line. Mm. So things that like people in my family have dealt with, I don't want to be the cop out, but like, you know, maybe people in my whole like like line of ancestry have been late and like that's the thing that affects me, you know, sure. and it's something that I want to work on, but I'm curious and learn more about that. But I'm also just trying to be kinder to myself and just be more positive because I love myself. I love who I am. I love what I've gone through and where I've come from. But I also love the fact that I've had something to come from mm. because that gives you resilience. That gives you purpose. And that's another conversation on certain people's experiences where they haven't come from some adversity and it doesn't allow them to understand work that they should be doing. Sure. It doesn't sort of that open a, that, yeah. that space, that curiosity. Yeah. Right? Kind of going back to our first question of asking ourselves, who are we? I think that that's such an important question. And I, I, I think what I, what I hope the more that I share my work, whenever I talk about my story as a trans person and my journey, as I, I try to tell people, you know, I'm, I'm sort of handing you my humanity. I'm inviting you into my humanity. But I also have a question for you. I'm okay. going to turn that table. Okay. Can okay. I turn the table? Sure. This is going to sound like a weird question. Do you ever feel like as a trans person and in your platform, you give too much? Mm. I think that, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. I think that for most of my career, I would answer you no. I I, I don't give too much. Um, I don't think that's accurate. I think that oftentimes I overextend, mm -hmm. um, and I not in sort of like facts about myself, but right. but rather in like time and energy and patience that I mm -hmm. that I give others. Um, but I also have have built a practice, and I think I did this since the beginning of keeping things to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I don't talk often about my partner, for example. I don't talk about mm -hmm. sort of several intimate parts of my life. And I do that on purpose, not because I don't want to share it, but because I want something that's mine. Absolutely. I want something I love that, that. that isn't, you know, the world's. And, um, and I, I think that kind of 
attaches actually to our conversation about dating as well, though, because um, sometimes my transits feel so important. Most of the time, my mm-hmm. transits feels like the most important thing to tell other people mm-hmm. because I don't know how to navigate an intimate relationship of any kind, romantic or not, without somebody knowing that I'm trans. But sometimes it feels like I don't, I, I just don't want to give it, right? Yeah. I've even had friendships in in now my adult life where I, I don't share that I'm trans initially, not because I don't trust people, not because I don't want them to know, because I just- That goes back to what we were talking I about. I want it to be mine for a little bit. Absolutely. You know? um, and you have that, I think you have that right. That's, you know, your choice. Um, and also you having reasoning for doing that is, I think, rooted in goodness, mm-hmm. which is another thing where- some things that people hold are really rooted in shame. Shame. Mm. And that's not what it is. Mm. When I think we're doing that, like me not disclosing my transness is not rooted in shame. Mm. It's just rooted in protection. It's rooted in like, do you deserve that? Maybe you do. And that's when, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I I not to throw the curveball at you, but I think that it's it's fascinating because as someone, we're both people who are like visibly trans. Or like on platforms where we sure. discuss this, yeah. it does make me think about, you know, this is going to help people and, and, and I hope educate people in a way that they need it. But, but there are cost? people who are, you know, there is an element of we should be able to exist without having to do so much work. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I was going to. Is actually when I say I invite people into my own humanity. The goal is actually not to give them my humanity, but rather through inviting them into mine, hopefully invite them into their own. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And I think that's what hopefully we can help do here. And what I think whenever we, whenever somebody truly opens themselves to somebody else, and the other mm-hmm. person listens, yes, that other person hopefully is seeing a window into their own humanity too. Absolutely. And I, I want more of that for everybody who isn't. A trans person of color. Uh, me too. Same, same, same. Samesies. I love these conversations. They're so healing and they're important and uh, and historical. Mm. And um, thank you for, you know, inviting me and having me. And this won't be the last. And let's Absolutely continue not. to have conversations and learn and continue. I do want to say this. Let's continue to make space for each other and learn about each mm. other because we don't all have it right in our mm. own community. Yeah. We make mistakes. We misgender each other. We don't always know the answers and we need to be better about that and have accountability. Mm. You know, I know too many cis gay men who don't mm. have their sh- together, you know, <laughs> and I know a lot of people who just don't understand certain things. I don't have all the answers either, but I mean, I'm really dedicated to learning and doing the work mm. when I can. And and I just want to make, I want us to all have space, yeah. you know, to feel like we can be our best selves, whatever that means. That reminds me of something you just said where sometimes people, you know, will, will withhold their transits because of shame, for example. And I think shame is a driving factor for a lot of negative behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of men's you know, violent behavior as well, because Absolutely. like we said earlier, they, they, they're the tools to know ourselves, to, the tools to understand our emotions, the tools to be kind and loving to others, I think are snatched away from men and then shamed, right? There, don't be like that, grow up, be a man, you know, don't be a negative word, right? Yeah. Um, I think that when we, when we live from a place of shame, lots of, of horrible things happen. Mm-hmm. And one of what I was thinking as you were talking is that not everybody has the privilege to 
find something that isn't shame, right? I, I feel so privileged to be able to have pride mm-hmm. in my transness. I feel so privileged to be able to not act from a place of shame because I know it comes from therapy. I know mm-hmm. it comes from supportive parents, supportive partner, mm-hmm. um, supportive teammates, right? I know that those things are massively protective for me. And I know you've had and some gifts. of those. Yeah, they're they're absolutely gifts, but they shouldn't be, right? right and right. what I, I guess what I am constantly thinking of, this goes back to your quote about trans joy being familiar. Um, what would a world look like that that wasn't driven by shame, right? That that was driven by a collective desire to be curious, to be loving, all these things that you're talking about. The, the world that isn't driven by shame. I mean, that's a book that I would love mm. for someone to write because it, it makes me think about the root. Everything that we're experiencing is from a root that existed way before we got here. And we're like the, the experience that it led up to. Mm. And- You know, that would have to mean, in my brain, that would have to mean that the shame didn't exist when people were colonizing and people were taking people and making them slaves and then bringing them over here and starting a country and trying to steal stuff and, you know, perpetuating these ideas, then saying you're less than because you look like this and you look like that. And like that shame just has grown Mm -hmm. for centuries. And, And we're here with it, dealing with a big shame monster <laughs> that we're fighting. So that's what we're dealing with. And I don't, I don't know what, like, I don't know. Does like, is it even, is that healthy to have like no shame at all? Like that's weird too, because it's like, well, you got to have bad to have good. You have to have something. There's got to be some dynamic, you know, there's got to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So it's really about balance, you know, and balancing like the shame that you have about whatever it is in your life, questioning that answering, you know, looking for answers and working on that because then I think having that shame and working on it eliminates what it needs to eliminate. It's the not committing to doing anything about some of those things. It's just the letting it fester and grow. And uh, that's just unhealthy, you know? The term that I think uh, you're referring to is shame resilience, right? We're talking about yes. how can we move through shame? Because I think you're right. That's like, for me, there's there's so many different markers of growing up or becoming an, an adult. And I think the primary thing that I want my adulthood to be signified is, or signified by is how do I move through shame? And, and when, mm-hmm. and with what grace, with what self-compassion and compassion mm-hmm. for others. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, thank you so much for for having this conversation with me about about all of this. I know we could talk forever, so we, we do have we to wrap up. We could talk forever, <laughs> and I just want to say, I want to say to you, you you are doing great work, and I admire your tenacity, and I admire that you really take it head on, and that you learn and you know and you speak from a place of of really educating people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy work, and um, I think you're a great human being. Oh, thank you so much, Mia. Well, I I think very highly of you as well. And I'm Thank you. so happy that you agreed to be here with <laughs> me. Course. And um, I just, I'm, I'm always watching you online and I don't watch that many Instagram stories, but yours is one I always watch. And yeah. uh, I'm just always so, I feel so empowered by knowing that you're out there doing, doing what you do. So thank you. Great. Thank you too. Let's thank Mila Jam so much for her time and her candidness and her just her presence. I have always loved listening to her talk about her experiences, especially because despite the fact that we're both trans people of color, we have very different experiences in the world and I always learn something from her. So I hope you did as well. Let's address today's question. Am I transphobic if I don't want to date somebody who is trans? 
The short answer is that nobody is wrong if you don't want to date somebody for really any reason. You can always decline, and that is called consent. The longer answer is oftentimes our quote-unquote preferences are not devoid of systemic oppression, right? They're not devoid of the biases that we have internalized from the world. If we lived in a world that didn't have white supremacy or racism or transphobia or sexism or any other of these big isms, these big bigoted systems of oppression, then maybe our preferences would quote be just preferences. But in reality, in this world that is so riddled with oppression, our preferences are also impacted by those systems of oppression. And so we can't just say, oh, it's not transphobic. In fact, transphobia probably plays a large role in our quote unquote just preferences. But that doesn't mean that somebody is a bad person. And it doesn't mean you have to date a trans person. I'm often accused of implying that everybody should have to date a trans person. And that is so far from the truth. If you don't want to date a trans person, then please don't. Chances are also that we don't want to date you if you don't want to date us. We also have our own standards and we don't want to date people who don't want to date trans people because that would be very painful. Now, I think that the complexity comes in when people start getting into the nitty gritty of what somebody's body looks like, to which I say, if you are specifically interested in somebody for their body parts, that might be time to really reflect on what that means to you. Because there's a lot of ways bodies show up in the world. Cis people actually have diversity with what their genitals look like and what their bodies look like. And that's okay. I think love is bigger than just a body part. I think love can accept a lot more than a specific body part. And we can find ways to connect even intimately so without maybe the body parts that people expected. When we expect trans people to disclose about their gender identities and their transness immediately or before we go on a date, we're expecting them to essentially disclose their entire medical history to us. And that's very unreasonable, right? Yes, over time, we would like to feel trusted enough for somebody to share that with us, but doing it at the beginning or doing it before a date, I think is very unreasonable. If you don't wanna date a trans person, if you have specific preferences, then you should name that. You should also investigate your personal preferences and see if they are affected by bias and do some internal sort of unpacking, I believe, about those things. You can still come to the same conclusion. Again, consent is consent. If you don't want to date somebody, please don't. But it might be worth unpacking if your preferences mean that you just don't date trans people or you just don't date Asian people or you just don't date X, Y, and Z person because those are likely riddled with oppressive systems. A simpler way to think about it is if somebody said, well, I just don't date Asian men, then I would probably say, I think that's probably a bit racist. Now, you can still not date Asian men. That is, again, your consent. But you might want to investigate why you have just written off an entire continent worth of people because of just being Asian. So as Mila and I discuss, it is up to every individual trans person to decide what they want to do with their identity when they want to disclose it. And so if you have a preference against a trans person, then you need to say that. And you need to manage your own preferences and not expect us to do it for you. And in any case, and in all cases, murder, assault, any kind of violence in response to a trans person disclosing their transness is wrong. And that is wrong. That is transphobic. That is bad. And there's no two ways about that. Even if you think that somebody has tricked you by not disclosing their transness, it is still not grounds for any kind of murder or violence. In summary, dating and relationships are complicated really for everybody. And I really want a message to my trans listeners, especially if you have ever felt not enough in a dating relationship because of your transness. If somebody else made you feel that your transness made you unlovable or undesirable, they are wrong. 
And it's about them and their understanding of their own gender, their understanding of how that impacts your gender. And it actually isn't about you. And for me, that separation has been hugely healing and hugely important to me protecting myself and understanding that my transness is beautiful. If somebody else fails to see that, that's not my fault. And for my cis listeners, I encourage you to go back to that moment where I asked you about a reaction to a moment where somebody said, hey, I'm trans in a dating scenario. Is there more there to unpack? Were you absolutely fine with somebody saying that they're trans or did you have some kind of emotion about it? If you did, which I imagine is common, that's okay. Let's unpack it again. Let's really try to dive into that and be able to recognize that there's so much more to dating than what somebody has in their pants or whether or not they're transgender. I believe that love has the capacity to transcend these very narrow boxes, rigid boxes of gender that we've been assigned and made to believe are the only way gender can show up in the world. And I believe that at least for me, that love has been life-saving and life-giving, allowing me to expand my love to so many different kinds of people. And I believe that you can access that kind of love too. What do you think of today's answer? Send me your thoughts or any question you would like to ask me by going to dearskylar.com. You can send me a message via text or even better, a voice message. Dear Skylar was written and hosted by me, Skylar Baylor, for Diversion Audio. Our producer is Antonio Enriquez, and supervising producer is Mark Francis. Guest booking by Anthony Lopez and Keith Lowry with assistance from Corey Michibata. Our head of development is Jacob Bronstein with Emma DeMuth. Custom music by Tyler Cash. Our head of marketing is Nisha Gopalan. Executive producers for Diversion Audio are Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, Susan Canavan, and Scott Waxman. Diversion Audio.